You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Life Forever. Enjoy. We're going to talk about life and death today. It's important as sons and daughters of God that we know what life is and what death is. Um, I know this, that if, uh, if we could hear Brian right now, he'd be shouting. If we could see him, he'd be dancing. He'd be doing backflips. He's flying through the air. And he's saying, believe God and fulfill your destiny. Don't doubt one word that Jesus said. Take every word to heart and act on it immediately. He is who he says he is. You are what he says you are and who he says you are. You can do what he says you can do. You have what he says you have. Run and go all the way. I know that's what he's saying. With a cloud of witnesses shouting the same thing. I'm going to say some things that might be shocking to you, but that's what I do. So you put your seatbelt on, but you got to take your religious goggles off and your religious headphones off. Jesus didn't come so that you could be a part of a religious group. He came so that you would know his father and be a part of his family. It's a relationship, okay? There is no death for a Christian. I know that could sound crazy, but it's true anyway. There is no death for a Christian. We cannot go through our lives thinking like those who don't know him. People are afraid of death. It's, and we hate death, don't we? If you don't, you should. Death is an enemy to us. It's an enemy to God. He didn't create it. He doesn't want it. It's not his plan. It's not his will. The world doesn't understand what life is, nor do they understand what death is. You can't understand what life and death really are until you come into the relationship with the person of Christ. Remember, uh, truth is not an idea, it's not a philosophy. Truth is a person. And remember, what we believe doesn't determine what's true. That's something people need to hear. That's why I'm going to say it again. What we believe does not determine what is true. Right? What we believe does not determine what is true because Jesus is the truth, whether I believe him or not. But what I believe does determine how much truth I personally experience. So my beliefs are very important. And what I believe can determine what other things I might experience too, right? So let's talk about this death and life. The world, I looked this up in the dictionary. I said, what's a dictionary? How does a dictionary define death? And this is what the dictionary said. This is what the world thinks. The end of the life of a person. Wrong. Wrong. The permanent end of something. It's not true. How does the Bible define death? I love letting Jesus and the scriptures teach me what real life is and define things for me. 
So if you'll study the scriptures, and we're going to look at a number of them today, you'll find that in this Bible, in the scriptures, death is not defined as a ceasing to exist, but it's defined as a separation from. I'll say that again. Death is not defined as a ceasing to exist, but a separation from. It's a rendering of two things that were once in union. That's what Bible death is. Let's go to John chapter 11. Let's look at what Jesus said about death. John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Fear of death has people living scared. And making decisions in their relationships, on their jobs, with their finances that are based on fear of death. Do you know no one is afraid of flying in an airplane? They're afraid of that airplane crashing and them dying, right? Flying's not the issue. It's hitting the ground, right? So fear of death covers itself, right? So you, if you, you look at any fear, just about anyone, you can trace back. All, if you trace it far enough, it goes to death. Yeah. It's the ultimate fear, right? Look what Jesus said in John eleven twenty five. 25. He said, I am, I love that about him. He is. He had no worldview. He had no philosophy. He wasn't a philosopher. He's truth. That's so different than what we hear in the world, right? You've got all these philosophers that you have to compare and see which one has the best philosophy, not Jesus. He's not a philosopher. He's truth. He is I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Life can be defined as union with God in the Bible. If you want to make it simple, life is union with God. Death is separation from him. Just that simple. Life is union with God, and death is separation from Him. I am the resurrection and the life. Look at this crazy Jesus. Look what He says. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. What's wrong with this guy? He who believes in me. Do you believe in Him? Do you believe that He's the way, the truth, and the life? I want you to know, some will say, well, I believe he was a good teacher, nice guy. That's not believing in him. Jesus in John 14, 6 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one can be in union with the Father but through me. When you believe in him, you believe that he is who he says he is. That he did all the things he said he would do. That he rose from the dead on your behalf. That's believing in him. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Look at the next verse. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. What? He's gone over the top now, hasn't he? He's always over the top. He'll always blow your mind if you're used to thinking like the world thinks. He will. He'll blow your mind every time. Especially when you first come into Jesus, it's like, who, whoa, what? This, huh? He is so fresh. 
I'm talking about vibrant when I say fresh. Vibrant, untainted, pure, free from all toxin, no guile. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Good question. Amazing. And I don't watch it very often, but every once in a while I'll catch a little glimpse of the news. Fear of death is all over it. All over it. I mean, they create, uh, they create, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, crisis after crisis. Even if there is none, they'll create one. And once they find one, they'll report it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I remember I used to uh, have to fly quite a bit and travel quite a bit through different countries. And I, I, I'd get in the airport and, and CNN and beyond, and it'd be a certain time in that certain country. I'd fly to another airport, it'd be a certain and the same stories are running over and over and over and over again. Why? Un, unrenewed man gravitates towards death. When your spirit is separate from God, you gravitate towards death. And you don't even know it. There's a fascination with it and a great ignorance of it. We're not like that. We understand what life is and what death is. So why does Jesus talk so funny? Because he knows and understands things that man doesn't know. He knows that to be separated from God is death. You with me? Am I going too fast? To be separated from God is death. He knows that death is an enemy of God and an enemy of mankind. He knows that death is not God's plan. It's not his will. He knows that God's plan and will is life forever. So as sons and daughters of God, we think like Jesus thinks. We see life and death like he sees it. Now I've been to, you know, several funerals over the years in my lifetime. And sometimes you have an ignorant minister stand up trying to explain death. And what they'll do is they'll attribute it to God. That God took this person away because he had some divine purpose. And that's simply not true. God is the giver of life. The author of life. It's Satan that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I challenge you to think like he thinks about death. So we're not going to try and say that God had some mysterious purpose and that he took Brian. That's garbage. And that keeps people in bondage to fear for the rest of their lives if they believe that stuff. We know it wasn't God's will for Brian to leave this earth. It's God's will for us to have a long, prosperous life. Let's go back to the beginning and see when death came into the picture. Okay? It wasn't something God created. 
It wasn't in his plan. Let's go back to Genesis. It's a good thing to do. Genesis will answer so many questions. But you really can't understand Genesis apart from Jesus. So we're going to look at Genesis, then we're going to let the New Testament explain it to us, okay? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. Understand that if you're not renewing your mind with the things that Jesus says, you're going to be confused about life and death. There are three places in the Bible where we can clearly see the will of God. Not everywhere in the Bible. I'll say that again. There are three places in the Bible where we can see the unhindered, well, we can see clearly the will of God. And I'll explain that in a second. The first place where we can see clearly the will of God is before Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. It, he, it was God's unhindered will in Adam's life. We're going to read it. The second place we can see the will of God in the Bible clearly is in the person and ministry of Jesus. But that was not unhindered. He faced opposition. He had to rebuke and stand strong and, and, and press, press, press forward. The third place we can clearly see the will of God is after Satan is bound in Revelation. After he's bound, this is all said and done. And if you'll look in each one of those places, you'll see, I mean, Jesus couldn't stand death. He walked into town and there's a funeral. A mother's bringing out his son and he, he saw the weeping on and he, he tells him to stop and he speaks to the, casket, to the boy in the casket and says, get up. He hates it. It's not a part of God's plan. We have to stop creating these false ideas to try and make ourselves feel better. It doesn't work. It leaves people confused. It keeps people from knowing the one who made them more intimately. Genesis chapter 1. Let's go back to the very first chapter in the book of beginnings. Let's go to verse 28. We're going to try and get through. I think we can do it. We're going to try and get through as much as we can. We're going to uh, get through as many scriptures as we can. We want to let the scriptures speak to us. All right? So this is on the sixth day of, of God restoring the earth. Sixth day of creation. Okay? Verse 26 then God said, let us make man in our image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. According to our likeness. And let them struggle and be confused and have a hard time and not know what life is all about. No. Let them rule. This is a word that speaks of sovereignty. Let them have dominion and sovereignty over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Wow. God created man, next verse. God created man in his own image. Love does that. That's love in action right there. 
God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Keeps it simple. Isn't God good? Don't let the world complicate your life. He created the male and female. It's just that simple. Verse 28. God blessed them. Love and action. God loves people. He blesses them. He gives them authority. He wants to elevate them and put them in positions where they can fulfill their potential. He wants to do that for you. God blessed them. means he empowered them to prosper. And he said to them, be. Just like he said, light be. He said to, to mankind, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over everything that moves on the earth. Wow. This is God's will. This is God's plan. Unhindered. This is what He wants for your life. He wants you in an exalted position where you're living at the fullness of your potential. Religion can't teach you what I'm teaching you. Religion's afraid of this kind of talk. Because religion keeps people at a distance from the one who made them. Genesis chapter 2. Let's move forward to Genesis chapter 2. So basically in Genesis chapter 1, we have a summary of the six days and the seventh day. Then in Genesis chapter 2, we have a, it goes back and gives us some more detail about what happened when God created man. Let's start in verse 4. Are you awake? How about the person next to you? Call them out. Come on. Call them out. All right. We have cereal back there. Did you guys see that? We got uh, Lucky Charms. Uh, what else we got back there, guys? Ch uh, chocolate Cheerios, I think. Tricks. Tricks. Ooh, we went wild, didn't we? We got some granola, too, I think, for... For, the, for those who don't want lucky charms. <laughs> hey, I live on this stuff. Are you kidding me? All right, Genesis 2. Uh, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth. We up there? Okay. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Boy, I, I have to really control myself. I could just preach on this for days and not stop. Woo! I'm going to stay on point. Help me, Jesus. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. There was no rain on the earth. And there was no man to till the ground. Look at verse 5. But a mist went up from the earth and watered, you got it, watered the whole face of the ground. No tornadoes, no earthquakes, no hurricanes, no tsunamis, no thunderstorms. A thunderstorm is not God bowling. I know there are many churches that teach that, but... 
Uh, he's playing bocce is what he's doing, actually. <laughs> or cornhole. That's probably what it is. <laughs> so you, we're seeing the will of God here, right? The earth was a paradise. You didn't need an umbrella, man. You didn't need a weather app. You could plan for something 10 years in advance and know what the weather is going to be like. Perfect. This is God's will. What happened? Something big. Let's keep reading. Let's go to verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's huge. Wow. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for illuminating who you are and who we are in you to us right now. And man became a living soul. There is a rabbinic, a Hebrew rabbi translation of this verse and says, man became a speaking spirit. We weren't made like animals. We're not animals. We never came from them and we'll, we'll never be like them. They're not like us. They're animals. They are not speaking spirits. We have the ability to see and process things and declare God's will into the earth. A dog can't do that. If you were here last week, you heard me do my bloodhound impression. I'm not going to do it again this week. You'll have to come again. We'll get back to that next week. It was pretty good, actually. And the Lord God planted a garden. Wow. He's a husband, right? You know what the term husband in terms of gardening? To take care of plants. God planted a garden eastward in Eden. What does that word mean? Place of his presence. Place of delight. Unhindered joy. Fullness of joy. And that's God's will, isn't it? We're seeing God's will, right? This is the will of the Father. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight. God likes pleasant things. I didn't know that. My church never told me that growing up. God's the author of good things. In fact, James tells us every good and perfect thing is from him. That's what he gives. Every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good. We're seeing the will of God, aren't we? And good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. Have you ever just sat by a river? Isn't that peaceful? I'd like to have a house on the river one day. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Excuse me. And a river went out from me to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and, and became into four heads. So you're kind of getting a picture of this. Try and visualize what you're reading. And then it goes on about the names of the rivers in verse 11. And guess, what, guess what's there with the rivers? There's gold in them there, hills. Gold. What's God's will for you? Prosperity. Are we looking at the will of God? 
He didn't create man poor. Poverty is not something he creates. It's an enemy to mankind. It's his will to prosper you. And the gold of that land is good. There's bedellum and onyx stone. We won't read through all this. We're going to move forward just for time's sake. Let's see. Verse, but surrounded by beautiful uh, trees and flowers, a mist rising from the ground, uh, precious gems and stones and gold, <laughs> God's will. Verse 15, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of unhindered delight, of fullness of joy, in the place of his presence, to dress it and to keep it. You understand there were no weeds in the earth at this point. There were no thorns. All he had to do was oversee it, speak to it. But the enemy, Satan, was in the earth at this point, but he had no authority. We're not going to take time to go into all that. Satan was in the earth. He had been cast down to the earth before Adam was created because he had rebelled and, and the angels who went with him. They were in the earth, but they were authorityless, if that's a word. They couldn't do anything. So Adam had a job to do to keep the earth in the condition it was by staying in union with his father. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree. Now, that word commanded, that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Do you know God never exaggerates? I do. God has no tall tales. I used to love that Paul Bunyan when I was a kid. You guys know who Paul Bunyan is? The lumberjack who is like, I don't know, just huge and swing his axe and take out a whole group of trees. Tall tales. I used to love to read those. But God has no tall tales. He never exaggerates. He never stretches something so that you'll believe it. When he speaks, it's truth. And why am I saying that? Because he's commanding now. And if the one who is truth commands, this is a big deal. Never are we to take what he says lightly. We're not used to that. Because we're used to people saying things that we know really aren't completely true. So they can be passionate and shouting and they can hold a position of authority, but it doesn't carry a lot of weight with us because people are people. But God is not like a man. He doesn't lie. So if he's commanding something, it's very, very important. We want to know what he's commanded because life is found through that commandment. And death is found if you break it. God doesn't play in a sense. In other words, he doesn't play with you. He doesn't play games with you. Like I said, checkers is fine. Chess is fine. Uh, you know, uh, but board games, but God doesn't lead you on and then do things to you. He tells it like it is. If my child's going to get hurt, I want them to know not to do that. I will tell them before they even know that danger is present. I've already gone before them. I've been there, and I'm going to tell them, you don't want to do that. If you do that, you'll get hurt. Why? Because I love them, and my commandments are protection to them. 
God's commandments are protection to us. He's not hard and heavy and uh, 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 power freak and trying to, you know, be the boss. He is the boss, but he, he has no uh, ego. Are you follow me? I don't know if I can. He's not arrogant. He's just being honest. He says, uh, of all, of every tree of the garden, who knows how many that were, this is a commandment, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Wow. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day, here's why I don't want you to eat of it, for in the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. That's what it says in this English translation. If you were to read the Hebrew, it would, say, it would say, for in the day that you eat thereof, in dying you shall die. What? In dying you shall die. The Bible teaches there are two deaths. The first one is spiritual death, which is to be separated from God. That leads to physical death. It's not immediate. You're going to see that. Adam's going to be separated from God. His body didn't immediately die, but prior to that, his body would have never died. Adam went from being, living in an immortal body that did not age, that could not get sick, to a mortal body that began to age and die. Now, all right, let me just make sure I want to get all this in. You doing all right? You're still awake. Did you call out the person next to you? All right, all right. Now, oh, this is good. 17 through 18, okay. Now, as I said, Satan is in the earth, right? Satan's observing all this, and he's mad because he hates God. And now he hates man because God loves man. Anything God loves, Satan hates and wants to twist and distort and kill and ruin. Right? So Satan has a strategy against Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman. And that strategy is to separate them from their father. To separate them from the source of life. So that they will die, because that's what he wants to do. He steals, he kills, he destroys. Right? Now... What was man's relationship? Make sure you're awake right here. Listen, this is really good. What was Adam and Eve's relationship with God based on? What was their, what, from, from Adam and Eve's perspective and from God's perspective, what was their relationship based on? Faith in what God said. To have a real relationship with God, it can only come by believing what he said. There's no other way to have a relationship with him. That's why if you're not learning what he said, uh, the intimacy of your relationship with him directly corresponds to how much you believe of what he said. So the more that I learn what he said, the more I believe what he said, the more intimately I come to know him. I heard a teeny tiny little bit of what he said in the church I grew up in. I mean, not hardly even enough to do anything with. So I didn't know him. 
But then at 19, I started reading what he said, and I started believing it, and I got to know him. So what's the devil after? What you believe about what God said. Because he knows if he can keep you from believing what God has said about himself and about you, he can steal from you and ultimately destroy you. So that was Satan's strategy. So he comes after Adam and Eve, and he comes after, more specifically, their beliefs by trying to argue with them and deceive them. Have you ever had a telemarketer do that with you? <laughs> I'm not interested. Oh, but, but you know what? I understand, but we have this program that's just for you. And if you'll, if you'll agree to this, you can have this. I'm not interested. Oh, well, that's, I'm glad you said that because we have, right? This is what Satan was the first telemarketer, I think. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Okay. Let's look at him. Look at him. Look, he's <laughs> He is so, uh, such, a, such a, uh, a thief, isn't he? So let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Let's look at how he operates. He operates the same way today. Come on. He operates the same way today. And we don't want you to be ignorant of the thief's schemes in your life. So let's look at how he operates because it's the same today. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And, and he said to the woman, so he, I don't want to get into all that, but he had to enter into the body of a, of a creature that was created because he had no authority in the earth. He knew, that's why demons like to possess uh, things because they want something to speak through. Okay? I'm not going to get into that right now. We've got to try to stay on point here. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said... That's a great intro, isn't it? What does that do right there? Raises questions, right? Not only about God, but about her memory. Right? So he's, he's, he's getting a lot done with four words, isn't he? If you've ever been around a good con man, boy, they are good. I mean, a really good one. Who, who doesn't look like a con man and, and really has the verbiage down and can adjust to whatever you say without blinking an eye. That's what's going on here. Has God indeed said? Now, see, Satan was planning this. He was watching everything going on. So he had a script prepared. You, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Well, did God say that? We just read it, right? Is that what he said? He said, you shall eat of every tree of the garden but one, right? So he, he's, he's, got, he's raising a lot of questions in just one statement. And the woman, so he's talking to the woman. Isn't that interesting? He didn't come to Adam. He came to the woman. And he said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees. She said to the serpent, excuse me, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it. That was correct up to this point, right? But then she adds something to it. Nor shall you touch it. He didn't say that. Lest you die. Why is that important? The moment you add something or take away from what God has said, you've distanced yourself from experiencing it. 
And that's what religion does. It takes truths of God and adds things to them. So yeah, you're saved by faith, but. Saved by grace through faith, but. You have to do these things. Right? Man's religion adds things to what God has said and done. And as a result, it keeps people from experiencing this, the full life, the abundant life that God has given us through Christ. So he's adding, she's adding something to it. Boy, this is so hard to keep going through. There's so many things, so many truths in this. Let's keep going. Verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now he's just being flat out uh, contrary to what God has said, right? He is saying God is lying to you. See, if Satan can get you to distrust God, he's got you, right? If he can get you to distrust God, he's got you. Because now the one who wants to love you and protect you, you have distanced yourself from. You won't open your, your, your heart to. How can you believe in someone you don't trust? Right? If God's out to get me, how can I have faith in him? You can't. All right? For God knows, so he's saying basically you're not going to die. God has lied to you because he's insecure. He's afraid of you guys. He knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Whose image were they made in? Image of God. How can Satan talk to people made in the image of God and talk them out of knowing whose image they're made in? Don't ask me to say that again. See, Satan knows who you are. But if you don't, he can talk you out of it. And that's what he's doing to them. He's trying to talk them out of who they are. And one way he'll do that is by getting you to compare yourself to others. The grass is always greener over there. How come they have that and I don't? How come they can do that and I can't? The moment you have a thought like that, shut it down. God has given you all things to enjoy. You have a good, good Father who provides for us richly all things to enjoy. God knows the day you eat it, your eyes will be open, you're going to be like him, knowing good and evil. So verse 6, so the woman's buying this thing, hook, line, and sinker. So the woman starts using her five senses instead of her spirit and starts making decisions with her five senses. She sees with her eyes that the tree was good for food. Your eyes can deceive you. That it was pleasant to the eyes. And a tree desirable to make one wise. She doesn't know any of that. She's, she's basing what she believed on what Satan has told her and what her senses are telling her. And the tree and took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband, bro, with her. And he ate. Same thing. He took it, hook, line, and sinker. Right? Then, listen, here's some, this is powerful. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Look at the message translation of this verse. It says, immediately the two of them did see what's really going on. 
I like that. That helps us understand a little better, right? We've been had. They realized it. We just lost it. We lost everything. We've been had. Immediately the two of them did see what's really going on. They saw themselves naked. They see themselves differently now. Look at the uh, Living Bible's translation of that. And as they ate it, suddenly they became aware of their nakedness and were embarrassed. Wow. Amazing, huh? Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Why would you hide from pure joy? That's what we all want. From pure love. From someone who will never hurt you. Because you've been listening and believing wrong things. That's the only reason this place isn't filled up right now. There are people believing wrong things. They're afraid to come to church. Because they've been told things about God that aren't true. You tell them. You go tell them, okay? Tell them it's not true. He loves you. Come and hear more about how much he loves you. Come discover how good he is. Come discover this amazing destiny he has for your life. We want you to fulfill your destiny. That's a part of our statement, our vision statement, right? We see a vibrant, growing church where people are experiencing God and moving forward in his destiny for their lives. That's our vision statement. We want you to fulfill your destiny. Hallelujah. So they hide. They're hiding from perfect love. From the presence of the Lord God. Um, from the presence of the Lord God. From the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Is he mad? Has he come to, to, to crush him? What's he, he, wants to, he wants to spend time with him. He wants to fellowship with him. They're, his, they're precious to him. They're his kids. So, he, so Adam says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Why is he afraid? He's believing wrong things about him. What did the devil tell him? That God's a liar. That God's jealous of you. That God's trying to keep you from fulfilling your potential. I'd be afraid of him too, wouldn't you? He was afraid, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And I love this, verse 11. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Why are you believing a lie? We're going to keep going here for time's sake. Tell you, I could, I could camp here for weeks on end. There's so much revelation in these scriptures. But we're going to move forward. Let's let the New Testament explain to us what just happened, okay? Let's let the New Testament explain to us what just happened. So when, 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 say, when, when mankind, when Adam and Eve chose to believe lies instead of truth, they acted on lies and they separated, they broke God's commandment. And when God speaks, there are spiritual forces at work we don't understand. He's so much bigger than what we know and understand. So when he says something, it's best just to do it. 
Because we don't understand all the ramifications and the, the depth of it. So this was no light thing. But nevertheless, when it happened, remember he said, in dying you shall die. Well, it happened. Their spirits were separated from God. They died spiritually. And their bodies went from being mortal, excuse me, immortal, to mortal. Okay? Now, Romans chapter 5 describes what Satan did. And I love this. In verse 17, in the Weymouth translation, it says, For if through the transgression of the one individual, who is that? Adam. You with me? If through the transgression of Adam, death made use of Adam to seize the sovereignty. What was Satan after? Authority over the earth. Right? Who had authority over the earth? Adam and Eve. Right? Satan wanted that. Why? So that he could destroy it. Satan stole the sovereignty over the earth. That's why Jesus and Paul call Satan the God of this world. It was at that moment that everything on the earth changed. And now we see the junk we see today. The horrible storms and natural disasters and earthquakes, the wars, the murder, the death, the, that all came after Man separated himself from God. It was not God's will. And God doesn't use any of that junk to teach anybody anything. God teaches people through his word and his spirit, not through tragedies. Did you hear me? Don't buy into that stuff. It's not true. So that's what happened. Satan wanted the authority over the earth, and he got it. Okay? Now, let's wind this up. So Adam's rejection of God separated mankind from God and opened the door for Satan to put mankind and the earth into bondage. Now, because man messed it up, man had to fix it. All right? God couldn't fix it. Because, listen, when God gives you something, he doesn't take it away if you mess it up. When he gave man authority, it was theirs. He wasn't going to take it back. God is not that kind of uh, being. He, when he does something, it's yours. So that's why you might see someone who's very gifted in the world, and they're not living for God's glory. Well, God gave them that gift, and he doesn't take it back because they're not using it for him. He gives you something, it's yours, no matter what you do with it. It's important to understand that. So God couldn't come into the earth and fix it, so he asked his son to come to earth as a man to fix it. We still awake. Can you hang for about 10 more minutes? All right? He asked his son to come to earth as a man, not as God in all his glory, to actually be conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin teenager. Big. Never been happened before. Never will happen again. God had this plan to redeem us through his son, and his son came into the earth, conceived in the Holy Spirit through the womb of a virgin girl who was engaged to be married, but her, son, her husband had no relation with her until after Jesus was born. Powerful. 
And that's what Jesus did. He came into the earth as a man to, to fix what Adam broke. All right? Now look at Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we look at the earth today and we think it's beautiful and to a certain degree it is. But if we would have seen the earth before sin entered, we would be horrified at its current condition. It's a wreck. It is. It's falling apart and there's no program that's going to fix it. Okay? It's falling apart. The Bible teaches God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. That day's coming. All right? So, um, Romans, let's see. Yeah. So this free gift. So God, God charged his son. And that's why it's free to you. Right? He maxed out Jesus' credit card. And it's free to you now. All right? Jesus paid the price so that you could become one with God again. So that Satan would no longer be your master, but under your feet. Now, yes. Amen. Amen. Let's read the full verse of Romans 5.17 in the Weymouth again. For if, through one for if through the transgression of the one individual, Adam, death made use of the one individual to steal or to seize the sovereignty, all the more shall those who receive God's overflowing grace and gift of righteousness, free, right, reign as kings in life through the one individual, Jesus Christ. Amen. The New American Standard, excuse me, the New American Standard says it this way. I can't talk as fast as I'm wanting to. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, notice you can't earn either one of these, they will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, all of us were condemned because of Adam. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. We've all been justified through Jesus. But you have to receive that. You have to know about it and believe it, or you won't experience it. Right? You've got to know that Jesus has justified you. You are no longer condemned if you put your faith in him. For as through the one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Amen. Amen. All right, let's close this thing with two more scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 4. So Brian is in heaven right now. The truth is, he's more alive than he's ever been. That's the truth. We have to think on that. We think on the reality of heaven's realm. We keep our minds stayed on these things. And we live differently as a result. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 in the Amplified says this. Stay with me. Make yourself be awake for about five more minutes. Now also, we would not have you ignorant, brethren, about those who fall asleep in death. 
Bible talks about sleeping instead of death. That you may not grieve for them as the rest do who have no hope beyond the grave. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will also bring with him through Jesus those who have fallen asleep in death. For this we declare to you by the Lord's own word that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall in no way proceed into his presence or have any advantage at all over those who have previously fallen asleep in him in death. For the Lord himself, this is what's happening, this is what's coming. For the Lord himself will descend, he's coming back, whether you believe it or not, he is. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud cry of summons. Man, I look forward to that. With the shout of an archangel and with the blast of the trumpet of God. And those who have departed this life in Christ will rise first. Then we, the living ones who remain on the earth, shall simultaneously be caught up along with the resurrected dead and in the, cloud, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I'm telling you, I'm drooling for that. And so always, through the eternity of the eternities, we shall be with the Lord. Therefore, next verse, comfort and encourage one another with these words. Stop living for this world. It's empty and shallow and fading away. Comfort and encourage. Give each other an eternal perspective. We're not living for the American dream. We're living for the Father's dream. His dream goes on forever. We're not living for what mankind says we should have and do. We're living for the Father's abundant life, for His plan, for the eternal rewards that come from following Him. Now let's read that in the message. Message translation. And regarding the question, friends, that has come up about what happens to those already dead and buried, we don't want you in the dark any longer. First off, you must not carry on over them like people who have nothing to look forward to. As if the grave were the last word. This is real, isn't it? This is how we think. The world doesn't understand this. You're rejoicing? Someone has passed away and you're rejoicing? Yes. We're sad. We, we want, we, it wasn't God's will for it to happen. We love them. We, we wanted to cease see them fulfill their destiny and go forward and all these different things but we realize there's a greater picture and we can rejoice in the midst of it all because we know in just a short time we're all going to be together without interference it doesn't this life is fast man this time on the earth goes very quickly verse 14 since Jesus died and broke loose from the grave, God will most certainly bring back to life those who died in Jesus. And then this, we can tell you with complete confidence, we have the Master's word on it, that when the Master comes again to get us, those of us who are still alive will, get, will not get a jump on the dead and leave them behind. In actual fact, they'll be ahead of us. 
The master himself will give the command, archangel thunder, God's trumpet blast. He'll come down from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise. They'll go first. Then the rest of us who are still alive at that time will be caught up with them into the clouds to meet the master. Oh, we'll be walking on air. And then there'll be one huge family reunion with the Master. So reassure one another with these words. Last verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Here we go. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. For when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Lord, we worship you. We thank you that you sent your Son to earth as a man to redeem us. Fear of death is gone. We're yours. Those who believe in you never die. We thank you for life forever. Thank you, Lord. Nothing can take us out of your hand. Nothing can separate us from you and your love for us. We give you praise for it, Lord. In Jesus' At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.